Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome to the Everything USC Podcast on Believe, the number one content network for professionals. The place to find a sports or pop culture show for passionate fan bases across multiple platforms. We believe in our teams. Do you believe? I'm your host, Nara Wang, and my guest in episode 67 is someone who, for the last 43 years, was as synonymous with USC sports as any of the Trojan athletes, coaches, and administrators that the school has had over that time. Tim Tessalone joined the USC Sports Information Office as an assistant director in 1979, and from 1984 until his retirement in January of this year, was the head SID for the Trojans. He's a member of the USC Athletics Hall of Fame, a College Sports Information Directors of America Hall of Famer and Lifetime Achievement Award recipient, and also was presented the Burt McGrain Award by the Football Writers Association of America, which is that organization's highest honor. Tim, it's truly my honor to have you as a guest on the Everything USC podcast. Well, Nara, thanks for uh, inviting me on here. And it's kind of cool because uh, you and I go way back, you know, so I've been honored to be part of your podcast here and to watch your career over the years. And uh, I'm proud of how you've developed your career and use that USC education and really put it to some good use. So uh, fun to speak to a fellow Trojan. I appreciate that. And of course, if you enjoy listening to this show, subscribe, download, and rate it wherever you get your favorite podcasts, Apple, Spotify, Google, Amazon, TuneIn, and so many more, or go right to the website at Believe.com, B-L-E-A-V.com, on social media, at Believe Network and at Believe Sports. To catch up with me, I'm on Twitter. Find and follow me at Narawang Sports, N-A-R-A-W-E-N-G Sports. And Tim, this is usually where I ask my guests if they've got anything to promote or their Twitter or anything, but you're just an old retired guy now, right? I'm a fan. I'm on the other side of the fence now. You know, I'm, I'm a big USC fan now and get to enjoy the games uh, kind of from a different perspective. It's a little unusual for me because for all those years I sat in press boxes and, you know, there's a kind of a code of ethics in there where you don't cheer and, you know, you're pretty reserved and, and all that sort of thing. And for the first time since I think it was 1978, my wife and I went up to the Stanford game and I sat in the stands and I hadn't done that for, you know, as I said, 43, whatever years. And it was a different experience. It was a little surreal and uh, everyone else was cheering and I was just kind of still in that press box mode. But uh, it's fun to watch the Trojans uh, and the success they've had this year. The Everything a USC podcast is brought to you by Bet Online, where you'll find the latest odds, team matchup info, player news, and game trends. Basketball is back, and Bet Online remains your number one source for all your sports betting needs this season. And as your continued source for all sports wagering information, Bet Online features live betting, free contests, and giveaways all season long. It's always the fastest and easiest way to bet all your favorite sports and events, whether that's NFL, NBA, NHL, MMA, tennis, boxing, or even golf. Head to betonline.ag to join and receive your 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Make sure to use promo code BELIEVE, B-L-E-A-V, to receive your rewards. Bet online, where the game starts. 
So before I talk to Tim Tessalone about his incredible career at USC, let's get the review of the loss to Utah out of the way. So the Trojans suffered their first defeat of the season and dropped to number 12 in both of the AP and coaches' polls. The Utah quarterback Cam Rising scored a rushing touchdown with 48 seconds left in the game and added a two-point conversion run to give Utah the margin of victory of 43-42. The Trojans led by 14 at three different points in the first half, but after taking a 28-14 lead with 1.15 to go in the second quarter, they allowed the Utes to go 70 yards on five plays in just 45 seconds to cut the lead back to seven right before halftime. And then on the first possession of the third quarter, Utah ties the game with a seven-play, 75-yard drive, and the back-and-forth shootout was on from there. Quarterback Caleb Williams for USC, a stellar game, 25 of 42, 381 yards a season high, and five touchdowns. Also ran eight times for 57 yards, and would have had more if he hadn't been sacked four times in the game. Travis Dye, 11 carries, 76 yards, and into the end zone yet again. Mario Williams had the most receiving yards, 145 on four catches. Jordan Addison had seven catches for 106 yards and a touchdown before leaving the game in the third quarter due to a leg injury. Josh Follow, the tight end, had two catches, both for touchdowns, his first receptions since 2019, if you can believe that. Sophomore wide receiver Michael Jackson III comes up with his first career touchdown catch with 6.15 left in the fourth quarter for USC's last lead of the game. No sacks and just the one takeaway by the defense this week. That was a fumble forced by Eric Gentry and recovered by Stanley Taufo'o. And Gentry led the team with nine tackles, but he also had to leave the game in the fourth quarter due to a leg injury himself. Talked about rising 30 of 44 for a ridiculous 415 yards, two touchdowns. Also led the team in rushing with 60 And the guy that really destroyed the Trojans' D, the tight end, Dalton Kincaid, 16 catches, 234 yards, and that touchdown to start the second half. USC had 556 yards of total offense, but for the first time was outgained the season as the Utes came up with 562. Pac-12 refs also played a role as the Trojans were called for two very questionable roughing the passer calls. One took away an interception in the end zone by USC, and the other one was on a third down play that would have caused Utah to have to give it up on fourth down. So Tim, getting to watch the Trojans as just a fan for the first time in over 40 years, what has been your impression of this team so far as it stands 6-1 and one going into the bye week? Well, I've just been impressed with the how rapidly this coaching staff, uh, Lincoln Riley and his assistants, have been able to to right the ship, really, and get this team playing at a really high level and really to change the culture within that football program. And it's been an, an amazing turnaround. I know it was a tough, you know, defeat at Utah, you know, sitting there watching on TV as a, as a fan. It was a hard one, but it was, it was a, you know, really was a fun game to watch. Unfortunately, we came out on the wrong end. The sky is not falling. It's middle of the season. There's a lot of football to be played. Uh, remind people that. And uh, Coach Riley has a, a pretty good track record of, uh, you know, keeping teams focused and, and with the, the goal in sight. And, and uh, even when 
one of his teams in years past has lost uh, an October game. You know, he's had, I think it's been what three of them at Oklahoma that uh, did that and then ended up in the CFP. So a lot of football to be played. You know, there's some unbelievable performances uh, by some players on both sides of the ball. The defense, yes, has been a little bit shaky at times, but they've also had some incredible performances. The, the, the number of turnovers that they've been able to get over the course of the year has been amazing. Some of the play of some of the guys, you know, the, some of the defensive backs I'm thinking of are up front has been incredible. And then, you know, offensively, it's just been an electric show, really, to, to watch Caleb and, and that group. Guys like Travis Dye is so much fun to watch. And the receivers, whether it's Addison or Mario Williams or Taj or any of those guys, just been fun. So, you know, I think everybody as a Trojan fan came into this season hoping, you know, and I think it's kind of been better than we had hoped. And, and I think we all kind of got really, really excited about what's in front of us. And then we, we had a tough one point loss, you know, in the last uh, minute or whatever on the road in a hostile environment with a couple of our best players, you know, not there with some tough calls that went against us and, and some, you know, some things that just didn't go our way. So I, I'm really excited about what the rest of the season holds. You know, we went on a six game winning streak to start the year. We can do six plus to finish the year now. So. Right. I think if you had asked most Trojan fans going into the season, hey, would you take a six and one record and the one loss was a one point loss at Utah going into the bye week? I think all of us would have signed up for that in an instant. But just because of the way you start off six and zero, and the expectations get raised and everyone is so happy about how the team is doing that now there is some disappointment, which is natural to feel after such a tough loss. But Lincoln Riley and this new coaching staff, What's the biggest thing they've done to reinvigorate USC amongst not just the team, but among the fan base? You know, I, I kind of alluded to, I think they've changed the culture, the, the mindset. To me, great Trojan teams basically had won the game as they walked down the tunnel. I mean, a game was over as they were walking down the tunnel. And, and I think this team has a little bit of that mindset that, hey, we're good. We're going to go do it. And if we you know, play our game, things are going to go our way. I think they work really hard in practice. I think from, again, I'm not there, so I'm not at practice and all that, but from people I talk to and things I've heard, you know, I think the way that they uh, conduct their practices, the way that they, um, you know, in meeting rooms, the bonding among the players, all that sort of thing has the imprint to me of a championship program. And not just for this year, but I think they're building something for long-term. And again, as you said, in our six and one, you know, if we were talking, doing this interview in, in June or July, we'd be going, great, let's do it. I'm there. And, um, you know, let's, uh, you know, we can go win another, as I said, go on another six or plus winning streak now. And you talked about how it was a little odd for you to be back in the stands after such a long time, even when you're watching at home on the TV. Are you finding yourself still kind of in press box mode or can you get into games like a regular fan? Yeah, I'm still in press box mode. You know, at the home games, they've been kind enough in the sports info office to let me have a pass and to come and I come sit, you know, in the far corner and, and watch and I try to troubleshoot a little bit if I notice something and try to alert them that, hey, maybe here's a potential record or there's something on the field you ought to take a look at or, or whatever. So I'm still for home games in that mode, but road games and I sit there and watch on, on TV. Yeah, I'm still 
43 years of SID in me, it's, it's hard to get out. That's understandable. Do you think you're ever going to be just a regular fan or is there always going to be a little bit of that SID in you? That's a really good question. I don't know. I, th- I suspect there'll always be some of that SID in me. And I think, you know, once an SID, always an SID. I, a lot of my peers that I've talked to over the, you know, throughout the country that have, have retired and, you know, it's always a part of your life. And especially when you spend so much time in it at one place, at your alma mater, at the place where you met your wife or the place where your kids went to school, you know, USC means so much, you know, to me and my family. And so I think I'll always, you know, be rooting for him and, but probably doing it as a, in a quieter way as, as SIDs do. Before we move on, I've got to recap the predictions game that I have every week with my guests when there's a game coming up. So Lofa Tatupu, the legendary linebacker for USC, was my guest last week, and he was the first guest to actually beat me on picks. And first of all, the players that we believe in, I took Travis Dye, which is who he actually wanted to pick. I've already had four guests take Travis Dye against me this year. So finally, I take Travis Dye. So he takes his consolation choice. Caleb Williams. And of course, Caleb Williams has the gigantic game. So in the players that we believe in, Lofa took that. In the score, I was afraid when I saw the line that SC was a three and a half point underdog. So I felt that Vegas maybe knew something that we all didn't. And so I picked 27-24 Utah. Lofa, of course, being the true Trojan player that he is and was, he went with USC to win 35-31. So because I had the right winner and I still had USC covering the spread, I take the win on the game score prediction. And then in our prop bet predictions, Nara's no doubter was, I figured if USC is going to lose, it's because they would commit multiple turnovers for the first time this season. That actually didn't happen. They committed no turnovers in the game. And Lofa, he took two picks. So he had a Lofa's lock which was that Caleb Williams would pass for at least 300 yards. He got that. And then he had Lofa's lucky pick was that his beloved USCD would come up with a touchdown. So he wasn't right there. But since I didn't really specify with him if it was a double or nothing, I'm giving him the credit for the win there. So he gets me 2-1 to one on the week. And on the season so far, I still lead the guests 8-6 and four. So eight wins, six losses, four ties for me. So I'm still ahead overall on that. But we'll see going forward on the season how I do the rest of the way with predictions. And so last thing on this segment for you, Tim, is you've already said that, hey, SC could maybe close out the season six wins. Everyone will be very, very happy. And so what are your expectations the rest of the way? And does it match up with what you were thinking coming into the season? Well, you know, I was thinking that ideally, Obviously, you'd want to see him win it all, but realistically, not having seen the team out on the field yet, you know, again, speaking in June or July, you know, if we went nine and three, 10 and two, then headed into the Pac-12 championship game and headed to a, a nice bowl, that'd be a heck of a of a season. You know, I think like everybody, the expectations are raised a little bit. I think we've got some, first of all, every Pac-12 game is tough. I don't care who it is. You know, I mean, everybody can beat you on a on a given day. Cam Rising had an unbelievable game against us the week before. He didn't have a very, you know, as as good of a game, and Utah got beat. So we've got a bye this week to get healthy, to buckle some things down, and then we've got a couple games that uh, you know you look on the standings and everything, and you think, okay, those are very winnable for USC, and those lead into 
UCLA and, and Notre Dame. And I think, you know, UCLA, you know, objectively speaking, and not from my heart, but just at the start of the year, I said, you know, watch out for UCLA. They're my dark horse pick for doing well in this conference because of the the veterans they had uh, on both sides of the ball, particularly on offense. And it's, it really seemed as if Chip had got his offense and his system in place kind of middle of last year. So I think that SCUCLA game could be dynamite. You know, I don't know what the Bruins will do this week against Oregon up there. That'll be a tough game for them. It wouldn't surprise me if they won, but it could set up as a, a tough one for them. And, you know, so I love it when both teams are great and this town is electric and on fire, you know, with that game having so much on the line, as I believe it will this year. And uh, then, you know, the Notre Dame game is always a rivalry there, uh, makes it special. I know the Irish are having a little bit of, a, of an up and down year, but it is Notre Dame and they've got players. So we'll see. But I'm excited for the rest of this year. I really think a lot of good things are going to happen, as you had mentioned, the fact that no turnovers against Utah. You know, we've had one turnover all year. It's amazing. That's unbelievable. That's, I mean... I can remember games where you had, you know, one in a, each series for a while. And so really, really impressed with what Lincoln and his staff have done with this team to get it to play at such a high level so quickly. That's hard, hard to do. This is the Everything USC podcast on Believe. I'm Nara Wang, and I'm thrilled to be joined today by the longtime former USC Sports Information Director, Tim Tessalone. If you enjoy listening to this podcast, you can find it wherever you get your favorite podcasts or go directly to our website, Believe.com, B-L-E-A-V.com, on social media at Believe Network and at Believe Sports. For me, I'm on Twitter at Narawang Sports, N-A-R-A-W-E-N-G Sports. This is Rashawn Haylock co-host of the Believe in 49ers podcast, and you're listening to the Everything USC pod with Nara Wang on Believe. And now I want to delve into the long and illustrious career of my guest today, Tim Tessalone. He, as is already mentioned, is a graduate of the University of Southern California back in 1977 with a degree in public relations. But he took a job with a PR agency despite being offered a job with the Sports Information Office after graduation. He then came back and joined USC as an assistant sports information director in 1979 to Jim Perry and became the lead SID in 1984 when Perry left to become sports editor of the Los Angeles Herald Examiner and the rest is history. So, Tim, what made you first decide to not take the job with USC right away after graduating and then come back two years later? Yeah, that's a a good question, Ara. You know, I was offered a position upon graduation to uh, stay in the Sports Info office and a full-time role. I was an intern there for my senior year. And, you know, I just, in my mind, said, I want to go out and see what the real world is like, wear a coat and tie and see what that world is like. I had no job lined up. In fact, I, I think I, was, I laid on the beach for a couple months, and then my great PR professor, uh, Dr. Faith, Bill Faith, called me one day in the summer and says, hey, they're interviewing for a junior account executive position over at a PR agency in town. I went and interviewed for it and, and fortunately got it. I didn't really have agency PR on my uh, radar as something I wanted to do, but it, it turned out to be a, a kind of a, a great foundation for me. We had clients, everything from 
restaurants, to paint companies, to financial firms, to the Motion Picture Academy and the Oscars, to the Passing Tournament of Roses, which was the Rose Parade and the Rose Bowl football game. And so I really got a, a smorgasbord of uh, stuff PR-wise to, to work on. And what I discovered in those two years that I was there was that my heart really was in the world of sports. And the job that I had turned down at USC reopened up back in, in 1979, contacted Jim, and he hired me then for that. And you know, I worked as his assistant. Um, you know, Jim's one of the greats, one of the legends in, in the SID world. And I'm um, very fortunate to learn under him. When he moved over to the Herald, I was blessed to be able to take over. So, you know, in reality, with my school, going to school there and working 43 years there, my, you know, my whole world, except for those two little years, has been pretty much seen through cardinal and gold glasses. How much did the job of being the SID change over the course of that long career? Quite, quite dramatically, really. You know, I mean, I, th I think the, not only the way that we did our job, but how the media did their job changed. Um, you know, we, when I started, we were using typewriters, we were using fax machines, which people don't even probably remember too much, uh, tele or telecopiers actually before fax machines. We were mimeographing press releases and putting them in the mail to mail them out. And so, you know, it was as we evolved, technology took over. Um, we, we adapted and, and used all that. And the media, you know, the media was, if a story broke, you know, wouldn't be in the paper till the next morning, right? People wouldn't know about it usually till the next morning. So you had all this time nowadays, obviously with, a, with social media, it's 365, 24, seven. And if, if something breaks right now in about a minute or less, it'll be all over Twitter and, and, and everywhere. So that was the biggest challenge, I think, and is it really made us, we were, we became more reactive because news was breaking beyond our control. You know, ideally as a PR person, you want to be able to kind of manage the message in terms of putting it out there and all that sort of thing. You know, the media is not going to necessarily write it how you send it out, but at least you want to be in front of the message and get your word out there first. And oftentimes now with social media, it's more a reactive thing where it's broken by the media, the news is, and then we have to react to that. Would you consider it easier or harder now to run a college sports information department compared to when you started? Because obviously technology is advanced, so you don't have to fax things and stuff envelopes and things like that. But like you said, it's a 24-hour news cycle. Yeah, I think every year it gets tougher and tougher. You know, more challenging, I think, is the way to say it. And SIDs, again, adapt. You know, athletic administration staffs, they all adapt. But as I was leaving and retiring, and this is not why I retired, but, you know, things like NIL and all of that going on now is a challenge. I'll tell you, Nara, I had something happen to me in my last year being an SID uh, during football season. We had a media person call and say, hey, I'd like to interview player X on the football team. And so we go to that player and say, hey, Joe from the whatever paper wants to interview you as is there a time that you can do this and here's what it's about and all that sort of thing and his answer was let me check with my agent and that was for us a first now they could have marketing agents and all that sort of thing but in all my years there that really kind of signaled how there's a shift i think in the relationship between players and and uh, programs and all that and you know it I, it's really for the better 
I'm all for all the things now that the players have and the leverage, the better leverage that they have in terms of getting out there and, and making money off their name, image, likeness, and, and all sorts of things like that. But, you know, and it's not easy being a student. It's harder and harder to be a student athlete these days, everything from mental health issues to social justice issues to, shoot, just uh, managing your time and classwork and, you know, all that sort of thing. It's a full, full-time job. Tim, you became an institution at USC, which is what happens when someone spends over 40 years at one place working and not just working, but doing the job as well as anyone else has ever done it. However, I remember a time when you came very close to leaving the University of Southern California for another job. I can't remember exactly when it was. I want to say it was maybe right before my senior year at SC, which was the 97, 98 school year or shortly after that. But can you tell me about the times you considered leaving for another position or were offered other jobs and why you ultimately stayed at USC? Yeah, that's a good memory for you. Um, it was in the mid to late 90s. I don't remember the exact year. I was offered a position to be the kind of PR director of, what was it then, uh, Fox Sports West and Prime Ticket or all that. I think it's Bally Sports now. And I had known the, the PR guys for the previous couple of PR guys there. And we sat down and talked about it. And then I met with the, the higher ups there and they were kind enough to offer me the position. And I actually accepted the position and had planned to leave. And then about a day or two later, I, I had a change of heart and I went to Mike Garrett, who was the athletic director and said, Mike, can I stay? And he was kind enough to say yes. And so I, uh, you know, was able to continue my career at USC. And, you know, I just felt at that time, one, I was curious and, and thought it was a pretty cool opportunity. And then I, I liked where the business at that time was going and, and uh, kind of the regional sports networks. And that's all changed now, obviously. But, you know, I, I really felt after I made that decision to leave and had second thoughts, it was because what I really most enjoy about the position of sports information director at a college and just working at a college is the fact that you can be around young people and the student athletes, and they keep you young at heart, young in spirit, young in mind, all that sort of thing. And that, I think, would have been terribly missed if I had left by, by me. And so I'm glad that I was able to, to stay at USC and, uh, and continue on. And what were your favorite and least favorite parts of the job since you had it for such a long time? Well, I think the least favorite is just the hours, you know. And it's funny now that I'm retired, I, you look back and you go, how did I do this for 43 years? I mean, it's pretty much a six, well, football season, seven days a week, every day, every week, you know, and the rest of the year, it's almost six days a week. And it's not a nine to five job at all. Your, your hours are kind of what the team's hours are. And you're going to work when your friends aren't working. You're going to work, you know, that's when the games are. The games are on nights, weekends, and holidays, right? And so you uh, have to sacrifice a lot that way. You have to have a very understanding uh, family, which I was I've been you know incredibly blessed with. And so I, I think that was always the hard part. It's just the hours that you put in. And you know I lived in Redondo Beach, and so driving to SC, you know, for 43 years, making that drive up the Harbor Freeway, you know, it's like an hour each way, and you know you kind of live 22 hour days. The flip side of that, what, it, what did I enjoy the most is just having a small, small impact 
on the student athletes and helping them in their communication skills. I always tell people about Ray Mabaluga. You might remember Ray was a great linebacker for us in that great Pete Carroll era. And when Ray came to USC, he was very shy and very quiet. And in fact, I remember him doing a, an interview out on the practice field his freshman year. He, there was a couple of media people that wanted to talk to him. We pulled him over and kind of did a little media scrum with him and four, five, six, seven writers. And it was painful. He couldn't get, you know, he couldn't put a couple of words together, you know, a sentence together. And so we worked with him a little bit, but really to his credit, and because he kept getting to be a better and better player and got put in those opportunities and experiences more and more often, he became a pretty good out front speaker to the point that his senior year, he won the Benaric Award as the uh, top defensive player in the country and went to Charlotte, North Carolina for their banquet to accept the award, a black tie banquet. And he stood up in front of the audience of a thousand people and spoke for 20 minutes without notes. And I'm going, you know, this is the same kid that a couple of years before couldn't stand in front of, you know, a half dozen writers and just talk about, you know, last week's game or whatever. So that kind of stuff to watch kids grow in their communications skills has always been really rewarding for us. I mean, I think that's what we're in it for. We're at an educational institution. We've been blessed over the years to have generally to have coaches who understand the value of dealing with the media, the importance of it. And we've always felt that's part of the educational experience because I know some places shield players from talking to the media. And we just think that's a disservice that, you know, these guys all want to play at the next level. And at the next level, you got to nail it, you know, when you're talking to the media. So this is the chance to learn how to do that and to get those opportunities. And if you mess up at our level, okay, it's okay. But, you know, if you mess up at the NFL or major league, you know, baseball or NBA or WNBA level, that's not as good. Yeah, I can remember as well, just the way, like you said, we go back a long way. I was in school there in the late 90s. And the way you treated us, even as student journalists, giving us access to players. Like I have a story about on the day that the OJ Simpson trial, that the day that they announced the verdict, I had an interview lined up with Keyshawn Johnson for that day. So in today's world, I would write that story. It would be posted up online and I'd be getting a ton of acclaim probably for it. Back then, I just wrote up the story and turned it into my professor and I think I got an A minus or a B plus on it because I didn't put Keyshawn's quotes high enough in the story because I didn't think they were very good quotes. They were just kind of bland, whatever. And so I use other people's quotes earlier. And so that was a lesson I learned from my journalism professor, Joe Sullivan, in that news writing class that, hey, Keyshawn Johnson is a big name. You put his quote up high in the story. So one of those things that you learned back then, but I had an exclusive, Tim. I had an exclusive yeah. with Keyshawn Johnson, and that's because yeah. you were willing to give access to anybody and get these guys out there to basically learn how to do what they would have to do at the next level. So I always thought that was a great thing that you guys did at USC. Well, but, you know, I mean, to your point, though, I mean, I think our, our philosophy in the Sports Info Office at SC is that student journalists are just as important as the working professionals. And uh, again, you're there to learn. 
you guys are going to make some mistakes like our athletes are going to make some mistakes, but you want to get to the next level too. So you need to learn how to do that. And SC has had a wonderful, you know, a journalism, broadcast journalism department over the years that has turned out and so many, you know, bright and really talented journalists. And, and I think they need those opportunities and, you know, get it while you're in college. And besides Ray Maluga, are there any other athletes or coaches you'd like to point out that were really great to work with over your 43 years? Well, you know, all of them have been great and really blessed. And, and I know I'm, I keep focusing on football here because um, that's what most people know. But, you know, whether it's beach volleyball or the track guys and girls or the tennis or, you know, golf, you name it. We've been so lucky to have these student athletes that compete and succeed at the highest levels in their sport, whether it's the Olympics, whether it's NCAA championships and all that sort of thing. And there've been so, so many of them, but I, you know, it's funny. I do get asked, what's my favorite moment, right? Or what do I remember most? And we've been, there's been so many of them over the years, but to me, there's one moment that I always go back to. It was my first year. It was in 79 and we were playing UCLA in the uh, Coliseum. And we were actually kind of blowing them out late in the game. It was, I think it was at that point, 42 to 14 late in the fourth quarter. And Charlie White was the tailback. Marcus Allen was the fullback on that team. You know, Paul McDonald's the quarterback. These are all, all Americans and, you know, two of them are Heisman winners and all that. And so we had a backup tailback kid named Michael Hayes. I just was texting with him yesterday, actually. And uh, no, nobody's remembered, or very few people, I should say, remember Michael Hayes. But Michael was a great tailback in his own right, coming out of San Diego and all that. And, you know, if we didn't have Charlie White, I bet you people would be talking about Michael Hayes. But he, because of Charlie and Marcus and all that, he didn't get many opportunities throughout the year. But late in that game, they put him in. We had the ball in midfield or whatever. And they hand him the ball, and he goes 50, 60 yards for a touchdown. And I can still remember where I was. And all that as he scored that touchdown and how, to me, how meaningful that was, because that signified to me that every kid, no matter if they're a star or the backup or a scout team kid or whatever, they all get a moment, at least a moment, if they compete in intercollegiate athletics. And that moment might come on the practice field. It might come in the meeting room. It might come in the national championship game. It might come in a blowout against UCLA, but they all get their moment. And that's what college athletics is all about. And so to me, that's always been my favorite moment because it's signified so many other moments that have come since then and that every kid gets that chance, that opportunity. That is an amazing memory for you to have dating back to your very first year on the job. So, Tim, you decided to retire in January of 2022, but you stayed on as an official consultant until July, the end of the school year. So what made you decide that this was the right time for you to retire? Yeah, you know, 43 years is plenty. It's time for somebody else to get to do the this fun job that I was able to have. And, you know, I could have gone another 43 years, I felt, but it was just, uh, you just feel it, you know, you just feel, hey, it's time and time to go live life and see what else is out there and uh, just kind of do that. But again, lots of great memories uh, over all those 43 years and just really fortunate to be able to sit in Heritage Hall for that time and being around so many great student athletes and coaches and administrators and our fans and our donors and, and all that. 
USC is a special place. People who are not Trojans don't understand that, but those of us that are really understand how special and unique USC is, not only athletically, but academically and professionally and socially and all that sort of thing. And I know you don't miss the long hours. So what, if anything, do you miss about the job? Obviously the people. You miss being around the student athletes. You miss the staff that you worked with and the sports info people and miss the media people. You know, we were obviously on different sides of the fence, but we, I think all worked together well. We understood what their needs were. And I think they understood how we did our job. So that's what I miss. Do I miss the hours? No, the, you know, the workload? No, and all that sort of thing. But it's a people business and that's what you miss. So what are you doing now that you're retired? Do you have any big plans now that you have all this free time? Is it mean playing more beach volleyball? I think there's legendary stories of you being out there on the beach in the South Bay. What are you going to be doing with your time? I just played three games this morning. So I would say that, uh, you know, this is a Wednesday in the middle of a football season that I would never have been able to do that if I was uh, still working. Yeah, I mean, there's just a bigger world out there that when you're on in the kind of the merry-go-round of work life, whether it's as a sports information director or any any job, you don't realize. I know that uh, I think it was like the first week of January, I had retired from the full-time position. I stayed on kind of in a part-time role through the start of July, but I went for a bike ride and it was a, you know, January 4th or something like that. It was 10 a.m. in the morning. It was cold outside. And again, I live in Redondo. So I got my bike and rode down to Manhattan or Hermosa in Manhattan. And there was people all over, you know, there's people out for walks, there's people all over the beach, playing ball, doing stuff. And I'm going, I didn't know this world existed. You know, again, you get so wrapped up into your work world, you don't realize there's a, just a bigger world out there. So I always tell people, I just want to go enjoy life, go live life and do things that for 43 years I wasn't able to do or, or my wife wasn't able to do because of my schedule. And we went to, on Monday, we went to Temecula and we went wine tasting. And Tuesday, we went to go see the Nixon Library and Yorba Linda, never been to. It was really cool. And like I say, today I got some volleyball games in this morning on the beach. And tomorrow I'm going to go see my two grandsons in Santa Monica. And so, I mean, that's, I'm staying busy and, and just enjoying life and watching a lot of sports and doing things I could never do before. So highly recommend the retirement gig. I really do. Now, you met your wife, Trudy, as a student at USC. All three of your children are Trojan alumni as well. Do you think you're always going to be involved with the university in some way? I sure hope so. I mean, I've, in fact, I told everybody there when I left, you know, I'm a phone call away. I'm happy to help out and however I can. I do hear from, you know, the sports info people a bit, just, you know, with a question here or who's this or where's this thing in the office or how do, you know, how, how should we look at this? You know, how did you do it before? And I'm happy to kind of uh, point them in the right direction and help them troubleshoot and all that sort of thing. So they've got some great people over there, you know, Mike Bone. And his staff, I can't speak high enough about the job that he's done since coming in and the way that he has really, the vision that I think that he has for that department and how he's been able to kind of enact that vision and get it going. And, you know, the success that we've seen, not only on the playing fields, but in other things, 
throughout programming that they've done for the student athletes and, and for the fans and everyone. So this is the Everything USC podcast. I'm joined today by Tim Tessalone, the longtime USC Sports Information Director who retired in January. If you enjoy listening to this podcast, subscribe, download, and rate it wherever you get your podcasts, Apple, Spotify, Google, Amazon, tune in, the list goes on and on, or go to the website, Believe.com, B-L-E-A-V.com, on social media, at Believe Network and at Believe Sports. To catch up with me, I'm on Twitter at Narawang Sports, N-A-R-A-W-E-N-G Sports. Hey everyone, this is Chuck Garfine of NBC Sports Chicago, and you're listening to the Everything USC podcast with Nara Wang on the Believe Network. Finally, Tim, for the final segment, as I've been doing with all of my guests beginning this football season, I want to get everyone's reaction to the big decision that was announced on June 30th about USC and UCLA making the move to the Big Ten beginning in 2024. Now, obviously, Back when you were in the job as SID, you would probably been looped in and had to deal with the announcement and all of that stuff. And you were still kind of a consultant at that time. So how much did you know about what was coming up and how surprised were you about this move? Well, you know, it was uh, very much held close to the vest by just a small number of people at the university, at both the universities. And so I actually did not find out until the night before the dinner time beforehand, I was actually in Las Vegas coming back from our COSIDA, you know, sports information directors convention. And I was in the airport and I got a call from Brandon Sosna, who has since left for the Detroit Lions, but he was the chief of staff, of the athletic department then. And um, he says, hey, can you jump on a, a Zoom or a, a you know, conference call, whatever, in 20 minutes? And I said, well, Sure, I'm. Should I change my flight? I'm in the airport. My flight leaves in I don't know 45 minutes or whatever. And he says, "Ah, you'd probably be okay." But anyway, we had to actually sign NDAs. We we got a few of the communications people on the phone with with Brandon, and uh, he kind of, at that point, you know, after we'd signed the NDAs, he broke the uh, news to us, and we kind of helped with a strategy for the announcement, and it all happened very quickly. And uh, you know, the next day. And uh, it was pretty amazing that the word did not get out for such a huge news event that, uh, you know, it started to leak out a little bit midday and a couple hours later, the, the news got out. But that's pretty unusual for impactful news like that. Now that you're away from the situation, you're not working for USC anymore. What are your personal opinions on the move? Obviously, you've been with USC for such a long time. During that whole time, when you started school, it was the Pac-8 still. Mm -hmm. And so you've transitioned from Pac-8, Pac-10 to Pac-12. And so is this a good decision for USC and UCLA? Obviously, we know it's a great financial decision. But with all of the things that they talk about in college, about tradition and all the value that's attached to that, how do you feel about this? Yeah, I mean, I am very much a traditionalist and all that, but it's a move that USC and UCLA had to make from a financial standpoint in order to remain competitive and to be able to compete for championships at the highest, highest level. So, you know, a lot of the things that people are worried about, travel issues, time demands, all that, that'll all work itself out. And I, I think people are you know, some of the people who are saying that 
might not understand the way that schedules are put together and or the teams travel and all that. It, it'll work out. There will be some issues, sure, like anything, but it won't be as painful as everyone's making it out to be from that standpoint. I think also my guess is that the way that college athletics looks today and the way it's going to look in five years or whatever from now is going to be way, way different. It's going to continue to evolve. There's probably be more super conferences and all that sort of thing. And so this move was not the last. There'll be some more and probably coming over the years. And But just, you know, it's very expensive to run an athletic department at a place like USC. People don't realize that the athletic department has to pay the university for all of the scholarships, all the kids that are on scholarship. We don't get, you know, absolution or whatever from university and don't have to pay for those. We have to fundraise and sell tickets and generate revenue in a lot of different ways, including media rights. Media rights are probably one of the primary ways that income comes into the athletic department. So it's a very expensive proposition to run an athletic department, especially at a private university like USC, where tuition is so high. There's, I don't know, 350, 450, uh, maybe 500 kids on, on scholarship, whatever the number is now. And, you know, you times that by what's a scholarship, 75,000, you know, do the math and that's each year. And then you have, you know, travel costs, food costs, equipment costs, salary costs, facility rental costs, all that sort of thing. You know, it's a 120, 30, 40, 50 million dollar budget that has to be balanced every year. Media rights was obviously a major factor in the decision for both USC and UCLA. So there's no denying you're going to get more money being a part of the Big Ten than you were being a part of whatever the next contract the Pac-12 was getting. So where does this leave the Pac-12 in your opinion? Is it going to be able to survive? Are they going to add teams? What do you think is going to happen with the Pac-12 conference? That's a really good question. Not really a you know, fortune teller on, on all that. I don't know. I mean, I will tell you that as soon as I heard this, News. The first thing I thought of was our colleagues throughout the Pac-12 and the uh, schools and the office, you know, the league office, you know, and the impact that a change like this could have on them. And I thought of the Rose Bowl people, you know, who've been so great to USC over the years, the impact that this could have on them. I think this is all to be determined. We don't know any of that yet, but I think things will Things will work out. And again, I, I think everybody kind of looks at worst case scenarios. I tend to look at the other way and like glass half full, and this will work out for everybody, and it'll work out maybe in better ways for everyone too. The main thing we have to realize is this is all for the student athletes, right? Let's do the right thing for the student athletes. And if for USC, if getting generating more revenue helps us field better teams and have better, whether it's facilities or NIL opportunities or mental health support academic support, any of that sort of thing, better travel, better scheduling, <laughs> however it is, let's make it all for the student athlete. So final question for you, Tim, based on all of your years of experience, but now getting to kind of look at it a little bit more detached from the day-to-day -day responsibilities you had as the SID, how does the future of USC athletics look to you? I'm really excited. You know, I'm excited to be a fan now of the Trojan program. As I said earlier, you know, Mike Bone and, and the staff that's there now and the coaching staff that they have in there now, 
are second to none. You can see the recruiting that everybody's doing. You know, USC is an incredibly powerful place, and it's an incredible place to attend as a student, as a student athlete. The opportunities and everything that are there for those kids. I had three kids that went there, you said earlier, you know, and they, the connections that they made there, all three of them got their opportunities for jobs because of connections they made at USC. You know, Trojans take care of Trojans. And so the future of that program is just on the upswing and Sky Eye, as great as it's been, it's going to, you know, I really believe it's going to continue that greatness and get better, add to the championships, add to the, you know, Olympians, add to all that kind of stuff and really make all of us continue to really be proud to be a fan of USC. Tim, it's been an absolute pleasure getting to have you on my show and talking about USC sports, USC football. And just on a personal note, I want to let everyone know that ever since I started at USC as a student in the fall of 1994, anytime I had to deal with you or the USC Sports Information Department, it's always been a welcoming atmosphere, which, like you said, might not be the case for some other schools and some other places when they deal with media and student media. So I just want to thank you for your service to USC all these years and being on my show today. Well, thanks for having me. It was, it was fun to catch up with you. And to, again, very proud of, uh, of your career and uh, keep on doing great things. And as, as we always say, fight on. I appreciate it. So for my guest, former USC Sports Information Director Tim Tessalone, I'm Nara Wang. Thanks for joining us for episode 67 of the Everything USC podcast, presented by Bet Online on Believe, the number one content network for professionals, the place to find a sports or pop culture show for passionate fan bases across multiple platforms. We believe in our teams. Do you believe? And as always, I end every show with a fight on. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.